Hey, you found us. Welcome, everybody. This is Scripture Gems. Hello, and welcome to the show. My name is John Fulmer, and this is my brother Jay. How's it going, John? We are two brothers who just can't get enough of the scriptures. Yeah, we love them. This episode, we are going over the Come Follow Me lesson for October 12th through 18th, 2020. This is covering 3 Nephi, chapters 20 through 26. And now, let's bring out the star of the show, the scriptures. Great to see you, Scriptures. Oh, man, do we need you today. It's going to be all about you. <laughs> now let's consult the Scripturematic 6000 to find out how long it will take to read this week's reading. 31 minutes, 20 seconds. And what would that be daily? It would be 4 minutes, 29 seconds. Fantastic. Very, Very nice. Excellent. Hey, before we get started, we've mentioned this before. And by the way, just so people know, we're not tied into... Book of Mormon Central or anything, when I talk about their scripture app and the reading plans, which I've mentioned before, it's just that I really think this is a great tool. So check them out on the Scriptures Plus app. The link will be in yeah. the description. I would like to remind everyone that Book of Mormon Central and Scripture Gems are both nonprofit. We don't get paid at all. So <laughs> we, just think it's, we just think it's a good tool. So let's get into the reading today. We're in 3 Nephi chapter 20. We start the chapter with Jesus commanding the people to cease praying, but that they should not cease to pray in their hearts. And then he administers the sacrament to his disciples and then commands them to pass the sacrament to the people. And why do you think he commanded them to not cease praying in their hearts before receiving the sacrament? How might that have influenced the Nephite experience in partaking of the sacrament. As we look forward at what happens, connect it, if you will, to that very thing, partaking of the sacrament and preparing yourself for it. And in this case, by not ceasing to pray in your heart. And speaking of that, we're talking about the Savior administering the sacrament, but what's unique about that? There's something really special about this particular time. Let's go ahead and look at the chapter. So starting in verse six, Now there had been no bread, neither wine, brought by the disciples, neither by the multitude. But he truly gave unto them bread to eat, and also wine to drink. And he said unto them, He that eateth this bread eateth of my body to his soul. And he that drinketh of this wine drinketh of my blood to his soul. And his soul shall never hunger nor thirst, but shall be filled. That's a promise right there. We should look for that. And what an interesting tie-in that he makes to this, that this is for our souls, and the healing will be to our souls. The filling will be to our souls. Verse 9, Now when the multitude had all eaten and drunk, behold, they were filled with the Spirit. And they did cry out with one voice, and gave glory to Jesus, whom they both saw and heard. So look at the value. Look at the experience that's being described in verse 9. To what extent did that experience happen because they properly prepared to partake the sacrament? Unless we overlook this, let's be clear that one of the things that's amazing about this particular administration of the sacrament is that no one brought bread or wine. It was provided by the Savior, and we really don't have any more information than that. 
Yeah. That had to have been a very special experience. Yeah. And this got me thinking, too, when we were reading these verses. Think about the experiences you may have had. Now, those of you who may be listening to this later, this was originally recorded in 2020. This was the year of the COVID-19 pandemic. And many of us have experienced now having sacrament at home or have started meeting in wards in very specialized circumstances in order to receive the sacrament. But has that given you a special insight into the sacrament? Has this been more of a special experience to you, certainly more personal as we have it just with our own family? Or perhaps as a couple. This time really has been a special experience for me and my family. The time that we've been able to take, especially when we started all this, to talk about the sacrament, what it means, examine the sacrament prayer together, has been really, really cool. So whatever lessons we've learned during this time, let's take them with us. Let's keep that rich understanding and the importance of proper preparation for the sacrament. Right. Then... Elder Russell M. Nelson gave a talk called Worshiping at Sacrament Meeting in the Ensign, August 2004. He said this, The period before sacrament meeting begins is not a time for conversation or transmission of messages, but a period of prayerful meditation as leaders and members prepare spiritually for the sacrament. There was another quote that I found in the Institute Manual. This comes from then-Elder Dallin H. Oaks from the October 1996 General Conference. Again, another encouragement about the sacrament. He says, quote, To those brothers and sisters who may have allowed themselves to become lax in this vital renewal of the covenants of the sacrament, I plead in words of the First Presidency that you come back and feast at the table of the Lord, and taste again the sweet and satisfying fruits of fellowship with the saints. Let us qualify ourselves for our Savior's promise that by partaking of the sacrament, we will be filled, which means that we will be filled with the Spirit. That Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is our comforter, our direction finder, our communicator, our interpreter, our witness, and our purifier, our infallible guide and sanctifier for our mortal journey toward eternal life, end quote. That's so important. It, it is easy to take it for granted. and yeah, it's, We do it every week. We do. And this was a great reminder to me about what the sacrament experience should be. Agreed. Well, going on, the Savior speaks to the people about the fulfilling of the covenant with Israel. Starting in verse 11, Ye remember that I spake unto you, and said that when the words of Isaiah should be fulfilled, behold, they are written, ye have them before you. Therefore search them. And verily, verily, I say unto you, that when they shall be fulfilled, then is the fulfilling of the covenant which the Father hath made unto his people, O house of Israel. And then shall the remnants which shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth be gathered in from the east and from the west and from the south and from the north, and they shall be brought to the knowledge of the Lord their God, who hath redeemed them. So jumping back to verse 11, that's a great reminder to us. For the Savior to say, behold, they are written, you have them before you, which could be said for all the scriptures. 
and the conference talks. And, you know, look, these are my words to my servants. They're written. You have them before you. You should be studying them. This is something that is going to be an emphasis in this whole lesson, in particular to Isaiah. But yeah, we should really pay close attention to that. The words of Isaiah, you have them, so you need to search them. You know, John, that's a great theme for this lesson. I mean, there's a lot of themes in it. But when you said that, I was just thinking, gosh, we've got Isaiah and Micah and Malachi. And then the incident which happens with Samuel, the Lamanite's prophecy. The Lord is continually saying, these are my servants. I'm validating them. They are saying my words. So... Pay attention. If this were an episode where the star of the show really shines, it's this episode. Yeah. This is all about the scriptures. Yeah. And Christ pointing us to it, which is so interesting to me. So this other part where he's talking about the fulfilling of the prophecy that those that are scattered abroad will be gathered in, something that I was thinking of that reminds me of how important each one of us are. And when I see each one of us, think of that person that you don't like or that gets on your nerves. They're included in this. <laughs> All of us, the Lord sees us and we are precious to him. And that was reminded to me in a quote from Elder David A. Bednar back in the October 2005 general conference called Becoming a Missionary. He said, you may enjoy music, athletics, or be mechanically inclined, and someday you may work in a trade or a profession or in the arts. As important as such activities and occupations can be, they do not define who we are. First and foremost, we are spiritual beings. We are children of God and the seed of Abraham. You know, in a day today where we get so into labeling people as this or that, and I mean, it's not just today. It's part of the human experience. It's so important to remember that all of us, number one, are spiritual beings and children of God, and he wants to gather all of us. Now, this is the beginning of this kind of emphasis, but in our following lesson, we are going to see the direct fruits, the direct results of people finally looking at each other as simply children of God. Yeah. And it's pretty amazing. It's spoilers. It is. Yeah. <laughs> no more ites. <laughs> so also from the Institute Manual, when we talk about the physical gathering, there's a quote from Elder Douglas L. Callister of the 70s. This was from October 2004 General Conference. He says, quote, Our present gathering is primarily spiritual, not geographic. Christ declared that in the latter days he would establish his church, establish his people, and establish among them his Zion. As he establishes his church in our day, people can be taught the gospel and be brought to the knowledge of the Lord their God without leaving their homes. In contrast to the pronouncements during the early days of the restored church, Our leaders have decreed that now the gathering should take place within each land and among every tongue. Our need to be physically near large numbers of saints is less than it was a century ago because church magazines and satellite transmissions bridge distance and time, creating a sense of oneness throughout the entire church 
all have access to the same keys, ordinances, doctrine, and spiritual gifts, end quote. Now, some of you who are younger might be chuckling at his mention of church magazines and satellite Satellite broadcasts. Yeah, Yeah, this is 2004, let's remember. (laughs) Certainly, we would more appropriately today talk about the website, the Gospel Library app. Social media, yeah. His point's the same. Absolutely. Now, going forward, verses 14 through 22, the Savior is teaching the Nephites that as part of the gathering of Israel— And in fulfillment of the Lord's covenant with Abraham, Heavenly Father gave the descendants of Lehi the land upon which they dwelt as an inheritance. He also explained another way the Nephites were blessed as children of the covenant. And what I find interesting is that as he's doing this, he's quoting Isaiah. But what's interesting is that he doesn't necessarily quote it in order, or at least not the order that we recognize. Yeah, and so we'll be seeing scriptures and quotations of prophets popping up throughout what the Savior's teaching, and we'll point some of those out. In verse 15, And I say unto you, that if the Gentiles do not repent after the blessing which they shall receive, after they have scattered my people. Quick aside there, what's interesting is that the Savior is speaking as if the people already know that the Gentiles are eventually going to scatter Israel. So that part seems to have been foundational knowledge. Yeah, if they've read their prophecies, then they would know that since the days of Nephi. Yeah. Verse 16, Then shall ye, who are a remnant of the house of Jacob, go forth among them, and ye shall be in the midst of them who shall be many, and ye shall be among them as a lion among the beasts of the forest, and as a young lion among the flocks of sheep, who, if he goeth through, both treadeth down and teareth in pieces, and none can deliver. Does that sound familiar to you? Let's go back to our lesson on Second Nephi 11 through 25. That yeah. sounds very similar to Second Nephi 15:29 or Isaiah 5:29. Very interesting. Yeah, and talking about the power that God's people will have, even though the description here sounds a little bit like, I mean, it does, it sounds like destruction, and yet it's destruction for the wicked, but it's breaking apart wickedness for those who are willing to be righteous. In verse 19, For I will make my people with whom the Father hath covenanted, yea, I will make thy horn iron, and I will make thy hooves brass. Does that comparison sound familiar? That's also from Isaiah 5 or 2 Nephi 15, 5 verse 28. That language is going to keep popping up. In verse 22, And behold, this people will I establish in this land unto the fulfilling of the covenant which I made with your father Jacob. And it shall be a new Jerusalem, and the powers of heaven shall be in the midst of this people. Yea, even I will be in the midst of you. That's a great phrase. It is. And I want to just connect it back to what we read in 16. They will be representing Christ in 16 because he says, ye shall be in the midst of them. But when Christ comes, he will be in the midst of all of us. The Institute Manual reminds us of a similar phrase in Doctrine and Covenants, section 38, verse 7 through 9. But behold... Verily, verily, I say unto you that mine eyes are upon you. I am in your midst, and ye cannot see me. 
But the day soon cometh that ye shall see me, and know that I am. For the veil of darkness shall soon be rent, and he that is not purified shall not abide the day. Wherefore, gird up your loins and be prepared. That's a great connecting scripture. Good Fantastic. Stuff. Back to chapter 20. Yeah, going on with verse 23. Behold, I am he of whom Moses spake, saying, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. Now, that's a very interesting quote. That pops up a lot in the scriptures. In fact, it shows up in every scripture, every standard work. Now, I did not know has that. this prophecy. I didn't either until this time around. Interesting. This is Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. So that's the Old Testament reference. That, as far as we know, that's the first reference of it. The full prophecy is Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 19. Yeah, I knew that it was referenced in John chapter 4 in the incident with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. In chapter 4, verse 25 of John, she's talking about what she knows. She knows that Messiah cometh, and what that references is that verse in Deuteronomy 18. Now, there's a footnote to it in our scriptures later in the verse that takes us to the latter part of the prophecy. But when he says, and this is what's so amazing in 26, when Jesus says, our King James says, I that speak unto thee am he, but the footnotes will help you to understand that actually he's using that Old Testament wording, that title, I am. So in other words, that verse in the Greek says, I am speaks unto thee, which is very exciting because he's revealing to her that he is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Well, and also in New Testament, it's referenced in Acts chapter 3, verse 22. And of course, in the Book of Mormon, we just read it, right? 3 Nephi chapter 20, verse 23. But it's also referenced in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 133, verse 63. And in the Pearl of Great Price, in Joseph Smith history, huh. verse 40. Interesting. So it's in wow. every standard work. Maybe this is an important prophecy. <laughs> Maybe. Wow. It keeps showing up in all our standard works. we got to pay attention to that. That's amazing. All right, going on in 24. Verily I say unto you, yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have testified of me. And behold, ye are the children of of the prophets, and ye are of the house of Israel, and ye are of the covenant which the Father made with your fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Now that's referring to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. So this is all about culmination. Oh, he of is just connecting promise. to prophets all the way around. Verse 26. The Father, having raised me up unto you first and sent me to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities, and this because ye are the children of the covenant. And after that ye were blessed, then fulfilleth the Father the covenant which he made with Abraham, saying, In thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Again, referencing that scripture unto the pouring out of the Holy Ghost through me upon the Gentiles, which blessing upon the Gentiles shall make them mighty above all, unto the scattering of my people, O house of Israel. And they shall be a scourge unto the people of this land, 
Nevertheless, when they shall have received the fullness of my gospel, then, if they shall harden their hearts against me, I will return their iniquities upon their own heads, saith the Father. And I will remember the covenant which I have made with my people, and I have covenanted with them, that I would gather them together in mine own due time, that I would give unto them again the land of their fathers for their inheritance, which is the land of Jerusalem, which is the promised land unto them forever, saith the Father. From the Institute Manual, there was a quote that keyed in on that whole phrase, children of the covenant. This is from then Elder Russell M. Nelson from April 1995 General Conference. He says, quote, The covenant that the Lord first made with Abraham and reaffirmed with Isaac and Jacob is of transcendent significance. We are also children of the covenant. We have received, as did they of old, the holy priesthood and the everlasting gospel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are our ancestors. We are of Israel. We have the right to receive the gospel, blessings of the priesthood, and eternal life. Nations of the earth will be blessed by our efforts and by the labors of our posterity. The literal seed of Abraham and those who are gathered into his family by adoption receive these promised blessings, predicated upon acceptance of the Lord and obedience to his commandments. End quote. So going on to summarize the next number of verses in verse 30 going on to 46, in addition to teaching the Nephites about their blessings and responsibilities as children of the covenant, the Savior affirms that the Jews' land of inheritance, like we just read, would be Jerusalem. He quoted the prophecies of Isaiah. And specifically Isaiah 52, several verses from Isaiah 52, and not necessarily in order. Yeah, we'll put on the visual some little notes on each of these so you can just kind of take a look at how he uses Isaiah. These foretell the time when the Jews will be restored to the land of their inheritance after they believe in Jesus Christ and pray to the Father in his name. There's a quote that I found in the Institute Manual from Elder Neil A. Maxwell. This is from April 1992 General Conference, where he reminds us that these are our days that he's talking about. Quote, Now, my brethren, these are your days in the history of the church. Mark well what kind of days they will be. Days when, with special visibility, the Lord will make bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations. God will also hasten his work. He will also shorten the last days for the elect's sake. Hence, there will be a compression of events. Furthermore, all things shall be in commotion. Only those in the process of becoming the men and women of Christ will be able to keep their spiritual balance. And again, how important that idea in the process of becoming, because we all are in the process of becoming. Yeah, not only that, but this struck home particularly in a time of upheaval. Again, this being 2020, there is a lot of different things happening on top of the pandemic. The notion of being able to keep your spiritual balance is very interesting to me. It's a very neat image. Yeah. Absolutely. So as you continue to go through these verses, you'll see Isaiah popping up in verse after verse. And then in 46, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, all these things 
shall surely come, even as the Father hath commanded me. Then shall this covenant, which the Father hath covenanted with his people, be fulfilled. And then shall Jerusalem be inhabited again with my people, and it shall be the land of their inheritance. You know what I think was so exciting about this particular verse is this is one of those rare opportunities where instead of the words of a particular servant, a prophet, this is coming directly from the Savior. Yeah. So when he tells us that all these things shall surely come and that this covenant shall be fulfilled, it shall. There's no question yeah. on interpretation or anything. Pretty exciting. So now going on to the next chapter. This is chapter 21. Welcome. Welcome. Starting in verse 1. And verily I say unto you, I give unto you a sign. Okay, now we should be paying attention when the Lord says, here's a sign. It's something we should be watching for. So let's pay attention. Now, what is it a sign of? Let's look on. That ye may know the time when these things shall be about to take place, that I shall gather in from their long dispersion my people, O house of Israel, and shall establish again among them my Zion. And behold, this is the thing which I will give unto you for a sign. For verily I say unto you, that when these things which I declare unto you, and which I shall declare unto you hereafter of myself, and by the power of the Holy Ghost which shall be given unto you of the Father, shall be made known unto the Gentiles, that they may know concerning this people who are a remnant of the house of Jacob, and concerning this my people who shall be scattered by them? Verily, verily, I say unto you that when these things shall be made known unto them of the Father, and shall come forth of the Father from them unto you, for it is wisdom in the Father that they should be established in this land and be set up as a free people by the power of the Father, that these things might come forth from them unto a remnant of your seed, that the covenant of the Father may be fulfilled, which he hath covenanted with his people, O house of Israel. Now we've got this reference to these things. Two times he mentions these things will be brought forward. So what are we talking about there? We're talking about the Book of Mormon. We are. Yeah. This is what we're reading. What we're reading is evidence of the fulfillment of this promise. That's amazing. That exciting? That's very exciting. Going on in verse 5, Therefore, when these works and the works which shall be wrought among you hereafter shall come forth from the Gentiles unto your seed, which shall dwindle in unbelief because of iniquity, for thus it behooveth the Father that it should come forth from the Gentiles, that he may show forth his power unto the Gentiles. Now, pause here a moment. How amazing is this? We have a covenant people who get all these promises as well as the punishments for not fulfilling the responsibilities to the Lord and so forth, things that hold them back. But the Lord also wants the Gentiles to have an experience. And so this work is going to come forth through the Gentiles so that he can show forth his power unto the Gentiles. That is awesome. Now, for those of you who might be wondering who the Gentiles are, if you don't know that you are a descendant of the Jews, you're a Gentile. Certainly Jay and I are. Uh, absolutely. And now you may say, yeah, but my patriarchal blood. Yeah. Okay. So we're all in, you know, let's not get too caught up in this. But in essence, we're not from the biblical, you know, 
I'm from Germany. Oh, yeah. So I get excited about this, the idea. And I'm happy to be adopted into the House of Israel and so forth. But I love this idea that the God cares about all his people. and that You know, some of us get to play a part in this or our ancestors. And for those of you who think that because we said that we're from Germany, that we don't necessarily belong to the tribes of Israel, we're not Ashkenazi Jews either. <laughs> so. <laughs> no. And the, I mean, those blessings are extended to all for sure. But what a great thing that the Lord is showing, giving the Gentiles an opportunity to be a part of this work. Yeah. And why does he give them this opportunity that he may show forth his power unto them? Yeah. And of course, the other piece to it is they are willing, which is awesome, going yeah. on. For this cause that the Gentiles, if they will not harden their hearts, that they may repent and come unto me and be baptized in my name and know of the true points of my doctrine, that they may be numbered among my people, O house of Israel. Yes. And when these things come to pass, that thy seed shall begin to know these things, it shall be a sign unto them that they may know that the work of the Father has already commenced unto the fulfilling of the covenant which he hath made unto the people who are of the house of Israel. Now, I just want you to know that starting in verse 1 and finishing with the period right after Israel, we have just completed the longest sentence in the Book of Mormon. Wow. Seven, Seven verses, verses long. long. Yeah. <laughs> That's one sentence. So a bit of trivia. I don't mean to take away from the importance of what Christ is saying, at least in English. Right. We're certainly not criticizing the Savior's use of grammar either. Uh, no. So going on in verse 8, And when that day shall come, it shall come to pass that kings shall shut their mouths, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Now that's coming from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 15. For in that day, for my sake, shall the Father work a work, which shall be a great and a marvelous work among them. And there shall be among them those who will not believe it, although a man shall declare it unto them. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, check Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14. But behold, the life of my servant shall be in my hand. Now, who is this servant? Well, in the context that we're talking about with the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, it could make the servant very clear. And Elder Jeffrey R. Holland, in his book, Christ and the New Covenant, he identifies that man as Joseph Smith. It's very clear that it is him. Now, going on, does it fit the description? Look at the description of that servant and what he does. Does that fit what we know about Joseph Smith? So going on, therefore, they shall not hurt him although he shall be marred because of them. Yet I will heal him, for I will show unto them that my wisdom is greater than the cunning of the devil. Therefore it shall come to pass that whosoever will not believe in my words, who am Jesus Christ, which the Father shall cause him to bring forth unto the Gentiles, and shall give unto him power that he shall bring them forth unto the Gentiles, it shall be done even as Moses said, they shall be cut off from among my people who are of the covenant. So isn't that an interesting description? Doesn't that sound like Joseph Smith? And it's also interesting to me that there's an emphasis that this shall be done even as Moses said. Ponder that one. From the Institute Manual, we have a quote from President Gordon B. Hinckley, 
about the miracle of the restoration. This is from April 2004 General Conference. He says, quote, Do we really comprehend? Do we understand the tremendous significance of that which we have? We of this generation are the end harvest of all that has gone before. It is not enough to simply be known as a member of this church. A solemn obligation rests upon us. Let us face it and work at it. We must live as true followers of the Christ with charity toward all, returning good for evil, teaching by example the ways of the Lord and accomplishing the vast service he has outlined for us, end quote. That's exciting. Wonderful. All right. So verses 12 through 22, the Savior is giving a warning to those in the last days who would not believe in him and repent. He says that their material possessions, cities, strongholds, and evil practices would be destroyed. And he also goes on to say that they would be cut off from his covenant people. Let's read the last couple of verses, 21 and 22. I think that captures the essence of it, and I will execute vengeance and fury upon them, even as upon the heathen, such as they have not heard. But if they will repent and hearken unto my words and harden not their hearts, I will establish my church among them, and they shall come in unto the covenant and be numbered among this, the remnant of Jacob, unto whom I have given this land for their inheritance." Now, continuing on in verse 24, the Lord continues the message about those who will repent. What are the blessings and what are the responsibilities? In verse 24, and then shall they assist my people that they may be gathered in who are scattered upon all the face of the land in unto the new Jerusalem. And then shall the power of heaven come down among them. And I also will be in their midst. So we have some blessings right here. And to be clear, they're talking about us. We're the people who will assist the people of the Lord. Yeah. And in the middle of 26, he says, And at that day shall the work of the Father commence among all the dispersed of my people. Yea, even the tribes which have been lost, which the Father hath led away out of Jerusalem. He's going to, in verse 27, he says, Prepare the way whereby they may come unto me. And guess who gets to be involved in that? That they may call on the Father in my name. And then in 29, he wraps it up again with a reference to Isaiah in Isaiah 52, 12. And they shall go out from all nations, and they shall not go out in haste, nor go by flight, for I will go before them, saith the Father, and I will be their rearward. God will be a part of this work in the front and in the back to support everything that's a part of his work. And we have access to that strength as we serve. As if we didn't need enough of a rallying cry, I found this quote in the Institute Manual from the Prophet Joseph Smith. This is from History of the Church, Volume 4. He says, quote, The building up of Zion is a cause that has interested the people of God in every age. It is a theme upon which prophets, priests, and kings have dwelt with peculiar delight. It is left for us to see, participate in, and help to roll forward the latter-day glory, the dispensation of the fullness of times, a work that is destined to bring about the destruction of the powers of darkness, 
the renovation of the earth, the glory of God, and the salvation of the human family, end quote. That's wonderful. As we go on in the next chapter, chapter 22, and welcome to chapter 22, Hi. Jesus is going to be quoting Isaiah 54. Now, we've mentioned before he's already been quoting Isaiah and other prophets, but here he quotes that chapter. And it's hard for John and I to not want to, we really enjoy Isaiah, and it's hard to not want to really look at and tie those together. But we did talk about a lot of this stuff in the earlier lessons for Second Nephi. The Isaiah chapters. So if you're interested in more on the topic, you can visit those episodes. But I did want to point out a couple of things that I think are exciting. Just to restate, one, as God is speaking to Isaiah, he refers, as is often the case, to the house of Israel as the wife and trying to bring you know, his family together because God is the husband. In verse 2, it mentions, Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thy habitation. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, strengthen thy stakes. That already talks about the marriage relationship. When a couple were married, and at least during the time that they would be in their parents' tent, they would add panels of curtains to make the tent bigger. And then, of course, if the tent is bigger, you need to lengthen your cords so that you've got more strength in holding the tent up. And, of course, strengthening your stakes means to drive them deeper into the foundation. So we already have this idea of bringing people into the gospel and making room and strengthening ourselves for them. In verse 4, he says, again, referring to the house of Israel as the wife, Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed. Neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame. For thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more. In other words, your home. Forget what was going on before. Forget your life before. Your home now. At least forget the shame. Forget what you've given up. And your home. And it's such a wonderful idea. And we'll just wrap this part up in verse five. For thy maker, thy husband, the Lord of hosts is his name. And thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. Who are we married to? The God of the whole earth, the Lord of hosts. Remember, the Lord of hosts is a title of the leader. It's a military title. He's the leader of the forces of God. So we have that. We have the Redeemer, one who buys us out of slavery, the Holy One of Israel and the God of the whole earth. That's who we're trying to connect with. What a wonderful image. I love that. In the rest, the Lord's people will be established in righteousness and will triumph over wickedness. Think about that theme as you read the rest of that chapter. And before we go on any further, there's a quote from the Come Follow Me manual that I really wanted to include. This is from President Russell M. Nelson, October 2006 General Conference. He said, quote, We are among the covenant people of the Lord. Ours is the privilege to participate personally in the fulfillment of these promises. What an exciting time to live, end quote. Amen, President Nelson. Amen to that. So let's go on to chapter 23. Welcome to chapter 23. Love it. We get in the first few verses 
something that I find really significant. Verse 1, And now behold, I say unto you that ye ought to search these things. Yea, a commandment I give unto you, that ye search these things diligently. For great are the words of Isaiah. Quick aside there. When he's talking about search these things, and he commands us to search these things diligently, these things are the words of Isaiah. These are the things that we must be focusing on. And I find this fascinating because this is one of the rare moments in which the Lord directly praises one of his servants. Great are Isaiah's words. Pay attention to them. We need to pay close attention to that admonition. For surely he spake as touching all things concerning my people, which are of the house of Israel. Therefore it must needs be that he must speak also to the Gentiles. And all things that he spake have been and shall be, even according to the words which he spake. Therefore give heed to my words. Write the things which I have told you. And according to the time and the will of the Father, they shall go forth unto the Gentiles. And whosoever will hearken unto my words and repenteth and is baptized, the same shall be saved. Search the prophets, for many there be that testify of these things. That is so exciting. This is the Savior speaking to us right now through people that lived about 2,000 years ago. Therefore, give heed to my words, write the things which I have told you, and according to the time and the will of the Father, they shall go forth unto the Gentiles. That's right now. That's the time. I love it. From the Institute Manual, I found a quote from President Boyd K. Packer that resonates the importance of the words of Isaiah. This is from his book, Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. He says, quote, Isaiah is the most quoted prophet in the New Testament. The Lord himself quoted Isaiah seven times, the apostles 40 times more. In addition, there are 90 partial quotes or paraphrases of Isaiah's words. Isaiah is the most quoted prophet in the Doctrine and Covenants. 66 quotations from 31 chapters of Isaiah attest to the singular importance of this great prophet. All of this confirms that the Lord had a purpose in preserving the Lord's words, end quote. Now, we've talked about this on the show before, and we'll talk about it a lot more in a couple of years when we do the Old Testament. But the Old Testament is divided into three sections. You have the law, the writings, and the prophets the Torah, the Ketuvim, and the Nevi'im. Isaiah is the first book of the Nevi'im, the prophets. And I think there's reason for that. He's not the earliest writer, but it's definitely a significant work, and the Jews recognize that too. Awesome. Also, the admonition to search the prophets. There is a really strong admonition. We actually get something similar in Doctrine and Covenants section 1 later. In the Institute Manual from the Prophet Joseph Smith, this is from History of the Church, Volume 1, he says, quote, Search the scriptures, search the revelations which we publish, and ask your Heavenly Father in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, to manifest the truth unto you. And if ye do it with an eye single to his glory, nothing doubting, 
He will answer you by the power of his Holy Spirit. You will then know for yourselves and not for another. You will not then be dependent on man for the knowledge of God, nor will there be any room for speculation. No, for when men receive their instruction from him that made them, they know how he will save them. Then again we say, Search the scriptures, search the prophets, and learn what portion of them belongs to you. And oh quote. my gosh. I love that. That's amazing. That is absolutely something that all of us need to do. And this is actually tying in with the theme of the show. Oh, You're yeah. You're also s- seeking out gems. And when you found a gem, that's yours oh, now. It's yours. It belongs to you. And you can you. share it. Yeah, that's just what I was thinking. I love that. Okay, well, listen, let's keep going in chapter 23. This is an interesting thing in verses 6 through 14. You know, we've had this emphasis already, and I know we keep pushing this, but in chapters 20 and 21, we've had quotes from Micah. We've gone on with quotes with Isaiah and other, we quoted Moses. And again, this emphasis on the Lord's servants. He keeps tying us back to them. And there's another example of that here in these verses. Jesus tells them to bring their scriptures because, as he says at the end of verse 6, behold, other scriptures I would that ye should write that ye have not. Well, what are they missing? What are they missing that would be scriptures he wants them to write down? In verse 9, verily I say unto you, I commanded my servant Samuel the Lamanite. I love it whenever the Lord calls somebody by name. I don't know, I find it really touching that he should testify unto this people, that at the day that the Father should glorify his name in me, that there were many saints who should arise from the dead and should appear unto many and should minister unto them. And he said unto them, Was it not so? And his disciples answered him and said, Yea, Lord, Samuel did prophesy according to thy words, and they were all fulfilled. And Jesus said unto them, How be it? that ye have not written this thing, that many saints did arise and appear unto many and did minister unto them. Busted. Yeah, oh my gosh. (laughs) And it came to pass that Nephi remembered that this thing had not been written. Wow. So here's the thing that comes to mind when I say that. Just to finish out this section, Jesus expounds the scriptures and then commands them to expound what he told them to others. But he emphasized there that it was so important, not just that the prophecies are written, but the fulfillment of the prophecies. And that was reminding me about the times when maybe I write in my journal about this thing I'm praying for or I want God's help with. But how good am I at writing when God blesses me, either in the way I've prayed for or in a better way? Writing down the answers to prayers, at least that's what I take from this, that's really important. Now, John H. Groberg had a talk in the April 1980 conference called Writing Your Personal and Family History. He says, some people say, I don't have anything to record. Nothing spiritual happens to me. I say, start recording and spiritual things will happen. They are there all the time, but we become more sensitive to them as we write. 
And I'd like to just add an amen to that. Yeah. This is not about whether things are happening or not. It's about our perception, seeing the things that are happening. It's about learning how to see with spiritual eyes. And this process is really great. And I'm speaking as someone who's terrible at writing that stuff down. But when I do, what a blessing. Very true. So now we're going on to chapter 24. Welcome to chapter 24. It's very interesting that chapter 24 and 25 are additional scripture that Jesus wanted to include for the people. These are essentially quotes of Malachi 3 and 4. Now, why is that interesting? Well, Malachi wrote approximately 400 B.C. That's at least two centuries after Lehi left. They would not have these writings on the brass plates. And the Savior felt that it was important that these chapters in particular of Malachi were included. And that we should pay very close attention to. And we're not going to read the whole thing, but there's some key verses out of this chapter that we really wanted to talk about. Starting in verse 1, And it came to pass that he commanded them that they should write the words which the Father had given unto Malachi, which he should tell unto them. And it came to pass that after they were written, he expounded them. And these are the words which he did tell unto them, saying, Thus said the Father unto Malachi. Now look at how he words that. Why doesn't he just say, here are my words? Write them down. Jesus said this. Because, I mean, these all are his words. The words to Malachi, the words that Malachi prophesied are God's words. Why not? God's there. Why not just say it? So this is what really compels me with these chapters. I think there's a lesson in here about what he wants us to understand about his servants. He's not the manager that comes in and says, okay, I'm in charge. Now, let me tell you. He's the manager that comes in and says, okay, didn't the assistant manager tell you this? Yeah, well, that came from me. Let me quote what he said. He wants to be able to have us connect with his servants and recognize that the fact that his servants speak is important. So he's not just saying, okay, these are my words, which they are. But as he preaches his word, the words of the Father, he connects them to the messenger to whom they were given for our benefit, I think. Yeah. A great message. So here's the triumphal announcement from Malachi chapter 3. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, Mm. even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. For those of you familiar with Handel's Messiah, if that sounds familiar, it should. That's awesome. I love it. So beautiful. In verse 7, you know, he brings up this other important thing. He says, even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye say, wherein shall we return? Isn't this interesting? So they've treated ordinances lightly, and as a result, they've not kept them. And as a result, that's led them to steer away from the Father. So anyways, when they ask, wherein shall you return? He says, how about keep the ordinances? For example, 
how about tithes and offerings for a start? And so this is a very famous portion of this about tithes and offerings. But he gives the blessings of doing that. And one of the ones that I really like is after the ones we usually talk about in verse 12. The blessings are in verses 10 through 12. But in verse 12, he says, And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. I think that's something, maybe you guys have had this experience on one side or the other, but when we have the light of Christ in us, and I don't mean this to bring any glory to ourselves, people see that light. And so when he says all nations shall call you blessed, I think he's referring to that light, the amount of God that we let into us. People see that and they're drawn to it, whether or not they choose to do anything about it. I just think that's an amazing blessing that maybe we don't think about when you keep your ordinances that the Lord has commanded you. Now, some in ancient Israel had questioned the need to keep the ordinances of the gospel. They complained that the proud and the wicked seemed to prosper despite their unrighteousness. The Lord addresses this in verse 16. He says, A book of remembrance was kept before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Our job is to align ourselves with the Lord and think upon his name. The Lord knows there is justice. Don't worry about those things, the idea that the wicked seem to prosper for a time. That's not relevant to us. What's relevant to us is aligning ourselves with God and trying to bring as many people to that oneness as possible. Well, going on to chapter 25, this is Malachi chapter 4. And in particular, it's the same wording that we have in the King James Version. Nice. And in particular, we wanted to call out verses 5 and 6. You've all heard this, and I'll go into why you've all heard this. Verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now, we talked about this with Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, but here again, these two verses, Malachi 4, 5 through 6, they show up in every standard work of really? the church. They wow. do. I didn't know that so either. So the first appearance is the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4. The New Testament, it appears in Luke chapter 1, verse 17. This is Gabriel speaking to Zacharias. That one's a little bit of a stretch, but it's there. Hmm. Book of Mormon, of course, we just read, Third Nephi chapter 25. And the Doctrine and Covenants, section 2. This is Moroni speaking to Joseph Smith. This is included in that. And let's not forget the fulfillment of the prophecy itself in Doctrine and Covenants 110, verses 13 to 16. Very good point. And then finally, the Pearl of Great Price, Joseph Smith History, verse 39, which is the same section, Moroni speaking to Joseph Smith, but it's huh. in the Pearl of Great Price. That's pretty cool. Once again, if it's in all of the standard works... Maybe it's important. We should pay Maybe attention. we need to pay attention to it. It's important, Marion. Trust me. <laughs> That's great. Hey, thanks for that. So now we find ourselves in chapter 26, and let's take a look at verse 2. 
And he saith, These scriptures which ye had not with you, speaking of the two chapters of Malachi, the Father commanded that I should give unto you, for it was wisdom in him that they should be given unto future generations. Wow. That's amazing. So in verses 3 through 6, Christ expounds all things. Remember, he said he was going to quote it, then he was going to expound it, even from the beginning until the time that he should come in his glory. Well, okay, I would like to read that. But Mormon tells us that he can't write even a hundredth part of Jesus's teachings. You know, that reminds me of John's comment at the end of his gospel, that the world could not contain the books, yeah. The books that would be written, etc., about Jesus' teachings. Good point. So Mormon goes on in verse 7. He says, But behold, the plates of Nephi do contain the more part of the things which he taught the people. And these things have I written, which are a lesser part of the things which he taught the people. And I have written them to the intent that they may be brought again unto this people from the Gentiles according to the words which Jesus hath spoken. And when they shall have received this, which is expedient that they should have first to try their faith, and if it shall so be that they shall believe these things, then shall the greater things be made manifest unto them. And if it so be that they will not believe these things, then shall the greater things be withheld from them unto their condemnation. Behold, I was about to write them, all which were engraven upon the plates of Nephi, but the Lord forbade it, saying, I will try the faith of my people. Darn it. Oh. <laughs> oh. We have to be righteous. Well, and we have to do... We have to be faithful. Do with what we have. And yeah. what do we do with that? And then more will be given. But what a tease. It is interesting to confirm you know, here's Mormon is saying, yeah, everything's written here. The greater part of what he taught is written, but I can't share it. Yeah. Wow. So going on in 13, we have a really special moment, but there's also kind of a mix up in the time code. So let's see if we can make some sense of it. In 13, therefore, I would that ye should behold, again, this is Mormon still speaking, that the Lord truly did teach the people for the space of three days. Well, we're on day two. So this has happened before where Mormon will jump in and give kind of an advanced overview and then go back to where he is. So we can know from this that he will be preaching for three days in this event because he goes on to say, and after that, after the three days, he did show himself unto them oft and did break bread oft and bless it and give it unto them. So we know from this summary that he will have visited with them for three days and then visited them often after that. And it came to pass that he did teach and minister unto the children of the multitude, of whom hath been spoken. And he did loose their tongues, and they did speak unto their fathers great and marvelous things, even greater than he had revealed unto the people. And he loosed their tongues that they could utter. And it came to pass that after he ascended into heaven. So this is where it gets a little complicated. So verse 13 was an overview. And then Mormon jumps back to verse 14, which is still day two. So this happens at the end of day two, similar to an event, although even more so, that happened at the end of day one. 
And so in verse 15, he's ending day two. Again, it came to pass that after he had ascended into heaven, the second time that he showed himself unto them. So we get that this is day two. And had gone unto the Father, and having healed all their sick and their lame, and opened the eyes of their blind, and unstopped the ears of the deaf, and even had done all manner of cures among them, and raised a man from the dead, and had shown forth his power unto them, and had ascended unto the Father. Behold, it came to pass that on the morrow, so this is day three, that the multitude gathered themselves together, and they both saw and heard these children. Yea, even babes did open their mouths and utter marvelous things. And the things which they did utter were forbidden, that there should not any man write them. Wow. There was an institute quote that I found about the significance of the children being taught and then the children teaching the multitude. This was in an earlier chapter of the Institute Manual from Sister Michaeline P. Grassley from October 1992 General Conference. She says, quote, It's significant to me that the Savior gave the most sacred teachings only to the children, then loosed their tongues so they could teach the multitude. Is it any wonder that following the Savior's visit to the Nephites, they lived in peace and righteousness for 200 years? Because of miraculous instructions, blessings, and attention they and their children received, righteousness was perpetuated by their children's children for many generations. End quote. Wow. That's great stuff. That is fantastic. All right. Let's wrap it up. Yeah. Verses 17 to 21, the disciples baptize. They give the gift of the Holy Ghost to many. They had all all things common among them were beginning something amazing. They who were baptized were called the Church of Christ. And that's just like back in 3 Nephi 11, when Christ first starts teaching them, he teaches them about baptism. And we talked about this then, how it unifies us with Christ. You know, we're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Think about another ordinance where that happens, that idea unifies us with God. And so here they are, the church of Christ. Of course they are, because they're unified with Christ. And because they're unified with Christ, they're unified with one another. That's incredible. And that's how we leave this portion of the teachings of Jesus Christ. But we know that he was with them that third day, and then he will visit them often after that. And we will get a flavor of that in the next chapters. Well, and we appreciate you taking the time to read with us today and study. We're so excited to talk about more yet to come. And we would encourage you to follow the Savior's admonition in this lesson. Search the prophets. Read your scriptures. Study them. Search the words of Isaiah. They're important. And as we've said before, if you are reading and you're thinking, ah, I'm just not getting much out of this, Keep trying. It takes some effort, but keep doing it. And slowly, things will begin to open up. You'll begin to find those gems, and they'll become yours. And then, well, it just takes off from there. We'll look forward to talking to you more about it in our next lesson. Yeah, we'll see you then. This podcast is not officially affiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But we're really big fans. <laughs>